Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Welcome to the EquipCast. I am your host, Jim Jansen, and really glad to have you with us today. We're, we're going to have a conversation today about marriage. Uh, marriage. It is the thing that brings us together, or at least it's the thing that brings uh, our guest uh, to us today, uh, Ms. Rachel Taverdi, a longtime friend. Rachel, how long have we known each other now? Oh, probably since 2007. Yeah. So th- 14 years. 14 years. So, wow. Rachel, welcome welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Thank you, Jim. I am doing great. How are you doing? Really good. Really good. I'm glad to, glad to be with you. I don't think I actually thought before, and we were talking a little bit before we hit the record button, and I'm like, oh my gosh, 14 years. How is that? We were you both, were there at the We were both start. 10 at the time. No, not really. We, yeah, 10. Yeah, we were just little kids. Because and... <laughs> we're older now. Yeah. So, Rachel, we want to talk about marriage, but... Uh, we always start off by giving giving our guests an opportunity to tell us a little bit about their story, uh, their faith journey when they encountered Jesus. Rachel, what's your story? So actually, uh, Jim, you were there at the start of my story. And um, so I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska, went to Pius High School, um, you know, grew up in a Catholic family, but didn't really have, just didn't really have a strong connection or relationship with God. And I ended up going to UNL for a year and, uh, well, I wanted it to just be one year and I wanted to transfer and go to school in Nashville, go to Belmont Music School and be a country music singer. That was my dream. I had this strong, strong desire on my heart to be a country music singer. I don't even listen to country anymore. And here you are, but you're sitting in front of this enormous microphone, which has got to be some type of fulfillment. I know, I'm ready to belt out into it and sing some Garth Brooks or something. Yeah, this is... This is a, a just full circle moment for me. So um, yeah, basically I was at UNL for a year and uh, was really lost in my faith. I was in a sorority, uh, was partying a lot and just was really trying to fill the void. And I was introduced to Jesus actually at uh, a frat party, which is a very unlikely place to meet him. But um, no, I was just, I was really feeling in my heart just the emptiness of the party lifestyle, going out, drinking four nights a week, mm-hmm. um, just the interactions I was having. And I just literally was at a party one night and I just heard, um, I heard the voice of, of God speak to my heart. And I just heard him say, Rachel, I made you for greater things in the middle of this party. And it was as if like the music stopped, you know, I just... It was like I heard his voice in my heart. Wow. And I, I I went into the next room by myself and I, I ended up falling on my knees in the middle of this party and by myself in this room and crying and just kind of telling God, I want to, I want to give you my life. I want to give you my heart. And it was just a moment of he allowed me to just just to kind of see the mediocrity of it all, just kind of living that empty lifestyle, you know. And anyway, so from that moment forward, um, the Lord gave me a lot of grace to uh, just give uh, to live for Him, and so I got invited to be a focus student missionary almost right away, mm-hmm. which maybe could have waited a little bit on that because I was still getting used to um, walking with God. Yeah, and so that was the start of my journey of faith. And after that, you know, I was a focus missionary for about three years, and just 
had this heart for the lost. Like I wanted to bring other people into the church community because, well, for one, it was a very hard transition for me to even feel comfortable going into a Newman Center because mm-hmm. I was, I had lived most of my my younger formative years partying and hanging out with the wrong crowd, wrong crowd as in, you know, people who were dealing drugs and who were just not Mm -hmm. living any kind of Christian lifestyle. So when I had found Christ, I had no idea how to integrate myself into like a parish community Mm -hmm. or a Newman Center community because I really felt like I didn't fit in. And so that's where a lot of my drive comes from, from just for doing evangelization ministry is just drawing others in. I just want to, I want to give you a chance to go a little deeper there and to highlight that because what's 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 hitting me is you have this beautiful profound moment where the lord you know breaks into your life and you give your life to jesus and and yet and again i'm not surprised by this but i think it's important for us to just stop here for a moment and yet you didn't feel comfortable in a church setting you mm-hmm. didn't feel comfortable in in a parish setting in a parish i might add that was full of young people who's who had not not that dissimilar stories. Talk a little bit about that journey. Like, you know, knowing Jesus was one thing, feeling like you belonged in the church was another. Well, I think just like, I mean, we're relational beings. I'm, I'm still a human. And so like, I just, mm-hmm. I didn't have, I mean, maybe the... The, the ability to speak the language of the people who went to the Newman Center. It was like, I felt like we spoke even two different languages at times. And the coming from like living more worldly, going to frat parties every weekend and, and hanging out with specific groups of people, I just felt like I, I felt an awkwardness. Like it just mm-hmm. didn't seem like we could speak about uh that was a lot of in my own head as well, right? Because I mean, the devil preys on isolation. But there was there was a sense of I I don't really fit here. Like I felt like I was in limbo because I didn't ha- I didn't feel like I really fit with mm-hmm. in with the party crowd anymore. But I didn't fit in with the church kids either. And so there was just this sense of not really integrating anywhere. And I wanted more for my life, but I didn't really click with those who were following Christ deeply quite yet. So there's this huge cultural barrier. How did you overcome it? I mean, I'm assuming you're you're relatively comfortable in a church setting now. <laughs> we're recording we're recording this in a chancery. I mean, so yeah. I'm just gonna I'm gonna make the assumption that that like something's something switched. Fourteen years later, I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think it was. I mean, obviously, the biggest thing was friendships. Like, I just. Mm-hmm. I, I actually joined a small group. I had a, a Bible study. I got to know ladies more one-on-one, and they got to know me, and they said, hey, why don't you come to the community night at the Newman Center? Why don't you come to a barbecue? Why don't you come to this party? I would not have gone if they wouldn't have invited me because I would have mm-hmm. just felt awkward, for lack of better words. So, And I know a lot of people had that experience, not just myself. Um, many, many people I've known who – did get drawn into the faith, didn't, you know, feel comfortable coming to parish Mm -hmm. events or to adoration or to church things, but they really had to be invited alongside. And, and that's, and that's where a lot of my, my fire for building community comes from is just knowing how that feels to feel like you're the odd man, odd man out and you're on the outside looking in and seeing a culture there that you want to be a part of because it's, it's a, they seem happy and joyful and fully alive, but you also feel this like, yeah, but I don't quite feel like I fit into that quite yet. I don't feel a sense of belonging here. 
And that's, it took me, it took, yeah, those friendships of those who did feel like they were integrated to invite me into that integration too, because I still didn't feel it quite yet. Wow. You know, I know that is a increasing phenomenon in, in modern times. But as you talk, I, I think it, I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking about how people's relationship with the Lord being often mediated by another person. I mean, I think about, I think about Andrew bringing in Peter, uh, or, I mean, we think about belonging. I think about like Thomas, who was a part of the Christian community, has this, you know, clear moment where he's not believing and it's their friendships drawing him back in, despite the fact that he very obnoxiously does not believe anymore, you know, not until I stick my fingers in the, you know, in the nail marks. It's, it's those relationships that brought him back and ultimately then you know, brought him to this place of renewed encounter with the mm-hmm. Lord, you know, famously, famously showing up in uh, the end of John's gospel. So, wow. Thank you for sharing, Rachel. Tell us about, so, I mean, I made reference, we're sitting here recording this in the chantry. <laughs> uh, Rachel, what's your day job? My day job. So I am the uh, marriage prep and marriage enrichment coordinator here, and I work at the family and evangelization office. We're a merged office now, so um, we merged evangelization and family life together. And I'm really excited about that because John Paul II believed that the family is the heart of the new evangelization. So to me, it makes total sense to unite the two together and to evangelize families. Day job, you know, a lot of times it looks like, I mean, this morning I was on the phone for two hours um, dealing with different situations with couples, trying to get on my uh, marriage journey for life retreat tomorrow, which is on Zoom. And then, you know, just different things that pop up. Like I, I do all the focus registrations, um, helping couples who who need specific things, whether it's mm-hmm. a dispensation. Foc- focus double C, right? The marriage prep? Yes. Assessment. Two different focuses. So F-O-C-C-U-S is the focus um, premarital inventory. And that's a, a requirement for all engaged couples who go through marriage prep. So okay. I do all their registrations and kind of help them out with that stuff. So. A lot of it, a lot of admin work, but there is so much opportunity for evangelization within marriage prep, and I'm I'm just excited to talk to you about it. So. Yeah, let's so let's let's dive in. Give us the background, like what's the landscape of marriage prep uh, today? But you know, give us. I know you're uh, a nerd at heart. Uh, mm-hmm. Give us a give us a little bit like <laughs> like me. Well, not not bagging on Rachel here, but uh, give us a little bit of the background and then just talk about the landscape of marriage prep today in the church. Yeah, no, I would like to attest to the fact that every uh, MAJ retreat I do, I tell them that I am a professional marriage prep nerd and like I I love this stuff. Um, so I, I actually, so the background in the church is that in 1981, uh, John Paul II, uh, there was a synod on the family. And so the Synod of the Family was focused on um, all things in the family, you know, marriage preparation, how we can reach the family in the heart of the new evangelization. So during this time, he also um, wrote Familiaris Consortio, which in Latin literally means fellowship of the family. And in it, he just really explored the idea of like, what is the mission of the family? 
you know, and and how can families become what they are? And mm-hmm. so he uh, he identified all these different areas, but all marriage prep nerds, everyone who works in dioceses, love his love the section he wrote on marriage preparation. And this is when he called for more of a, a formal marriage prep process that is not only just intellectual formation and doctrinal formation, um, legal medical formation, but it's very much. Uh, an invitation for engaged couples to be invited into the ecclesial community. So this this is something that was more intuitive in the past. I mean, mm-hmm. pre-1981, we're looking, I mean, pre-Vatican II, we're looking at a very different culture mm-hmm. than we are today. What was it like, just for the what, context, what was marriage prep like prior to 81, you know, prior to Vatican II? I mean, marriage preparation as a formal diocesan process really did not exist in, before Vatican II. Our, our culture was very much um, situated in such a way where, where marriage preparation happened in the family. Right. Mar- um, marriage prep happened for your fir- you know, the first 18 or 20 years of your life. <laughs> marriage prep happens at birth, right? Like right. You, you see the example of your parents and your grandparents and, and the community you live in, this close-knit mm-hmm. um, community, and you you watch your aunts and uncles, you watch your grandparents, and you, you that your um, formation of human love is in the family. Okay. John Paul II said the family is the school of love. So we had all of our culture supporting marriages, uh, strong, healthy marriages that endure for a lifetime. And, um, you know, we had parish life that was more um, more integrated into the structure of the family, into society. And now we're seeing we have this need, I guess, for more of a formal preparation for marriage which did not really exist mm-hmm. you know before the ni- you know before the 1950s it was just you you learned it by osmosis like you learned yeah. it in the family yeah you learned it at the dinner table right growing up yeah so when he he calls for this in in the 80s you mentioned there there's these you know there's the intellectual there's the integration in the life of the church okay so john paul ii calls for a renewed, well, not even a renewed, just a a, a formal marriage prep process, Mm -hmm. 1981. That's 40 years ago. Right. um, Because I know that's when Nebraska football was good, uh, (laughs) 80s and 90s, which is hard to believe that it's 40 years ago. Anyway, so it's 40 years ago. Um, How is it being done now? Literally the same way. Okay. So... I mean, if you look at the early 80s and what the culture was like, you know, it's very different than 2021 where we're sitting at today. Uh-huh. And my parents had the pretty much the same marriage prep that we're offering today. You know, the premarital focus inventory, um, NFP, which is not always, you know, uh, something that has to be done. It's not always a requirement. It's more of an encouragement now. Mm-hmm. But then as well, like a like a pre-Cana retreat. So either a weekend or a classroom style one day, right. you know, instructional seminar. So that that's this. The only two requirements for marriage prep are the retreat and the premarital inventory. And that's it's been done the same way for the past 40 years. So it's very much like a an information-based process. Now, it's fascinating you say that because way back even in the 80s, John Paul II was calling for, for sure, a catechetical informational component. Mm -hmm. But he had this vision of the need to really integrate, uh, integrate couples into the life of the church. What was his vision? Maybe why hasn't that, and why hasn't that come to pass? 
And how do we begin to 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 kind of recapture that now? Well, Acknowledging I- that we need to oh that that his original vision is going to need to be adapted for our current cultural climate. Yeah. So, I mean, John Paul II, I mean, he lived the vision that he proposed. So, um, I mean, when he was uh, in the early days of his priesthood and when he was the Bishop of Krakow, I mean, he was investing in families. He was investing in young couples and he was immersing himself in their life. And I mean, John Paul II, by proposing them, by inviting them into the ecclesial community, he was calling for something very organic. So he's Mm -hmm. saying, you know, families become what you are, come together, become domestic community. Uh, There's a lot of, uh, I spent time in Europe. I went to the John Paul II Institute in Rome and I've had this beautiful opportunity to be in Italy and to be in Poland and be in these different countries where I've seen uh, the church coming together in the parishes as organic families coming together, um, not only just families, but the clergy too, coming together and being formed together, having meals together, um, growing in holiness together in a, in a very um, familial way. So they call mm-hmm. them ecclesial movements in Europe. But a, a good example, we have it in the United States, is the domestic church movement that was fa- founded in Poland. And so John Paul II lived this vision of the mm-hmm. new evangelization through the heart of the family. And he recognized that families have to almost go on pilgrimage together towards towards heaven. You know, we're walking wow. together. It's a living movement. The parish is a moving body. We're walking back to the Father's house together. So this this mentality is um, was written all over his life, really. That's why he was the Pope of the family, and he encouraged mm-hmm. this. Um, so I forget the second question you asked me. I do, too. <laughs> but let's, let's talk a little bit, because I not everybody, I know what you're talking about, but not everybody knows... I mean, I think hopefully mo- most of our audience is familiar with you know, his writing, um, the theology of the body, and a lot of the, the writing that he did on marriage, even before becoming Pope. Talk a little bit, just real concretely about his ministry, because this this moving from family to family and raising them up and gathering them together, I think that's a very hopeful, it's so simple, but so profound. Talk a little bit about that for those who don't know a lot about John Paul II's ministry you know, prior to becoming Pope. Yeah, I mean, people maybe have heard of Schrodovisco, where he would gather um, the young couples and they would go on camping trips together and he would share life with them. And he encouraged priests, he encouraged um, clergy and religious to really to walk alongside couples and to, to act as not only just formators, but friends to them and to be to be um, a witness in their life. Because he saw that, you know, both vocations, the consecrated life and the married life complement each other mm-hmm. and they should be walking alongside there's a mutual need yeah Yeah, we need and the children of these families need the witness of of the the religious life and the consecrated life he very much encouraged just i mean he encouraged friendships with families and amongst families being friends with one another living the domestic church together but also the the religious and clergy being uh, immersed in the life of the family. And so, um, I mean, when he was pope, he would write letters to the families back in Poland that he spent time with, and he still communicated with them, and he still had friendship with them, and he mm-hmm. invested in their family life. Well, and he continued. He'd have them over. He'd invite them for, you know, they'd vacation together, so they'd ski together. Yeah. He'd, he'd invite them to Castle Gandolfo. Uh, in fact, we both have a mutual friend in Curtis Martin. I can't believe I'm going to tell this story. 
Um, but he used to, you know, his love for John Paul II perhaps would get a little extreme because he figured out the name of one of these Polish families. Oh, really? Oh, this is a great story. You should know this. He figured out, I love you, Curtis, if you listen to this. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to rat you out now. But he figured out the name of one of these Polish families that John Paul II was personal friends with. And supposedly... At a papal audience, right, John Paul II is walking by, just, you know, kind of blessing people. Curtis mm. shouts out their name, and the Pope er, stops, puts on no. the brakes, turns, and comes out, you know that I don't know. You know <laughs> no way. Insert Polish name here. <laughs> In which case, then Curtis is like, well, no, but I love the way you invest in families, and I'm a new dad, and it was just, just like. That is the best. Yeah, it was like. That's very strategic of Curtis. Yeah, innocent as doves, shrewd as serpents, awkward (laughs) as a turtle. I don't know, but it was just, he totally went for it. He stopped in his tracks and turned around. Stopped in his tracks, turned around, and because he he shouted out a family name of of people that, yeah, of people that the Pope knew and Mm. loved and vacationed with. And so, yeah, there's all these beautiful stories. I mean, the pictures of John Paul II on the camping trips, you know, saying mass on an overturned, uh, canoe, you know, shaving, hiking, playing with it all. Just it's, it's really beautiful. He was yeah. constantly over at in families lives over right. for dinner. Right. Well, he knew like, he's like, he, he understood his role in the life of the family and he, he's, he loved communion. He loved community. Like he, he didn't ever wanted to disconnect himself from family. You know, he knew that was he was part of a greater family. So I think a lot of times yeah. we we see that division, you know, and you you have your consecrated and then you have your families. But when I was in Italy, I was part of an ecclesial movement called the Ecclesial Carmelite Movement. And it was a offshoot of the CL movement. Mm-hmm. But it was the same thing where you just saw families kind of coming together and like the priests would come over to the house and, and hang out and they would make dinner and they'd have these conferences together with all the families coming together um, at a seaside village and have like a big conference and or they would do one day picnics together at like a, a mountain like a mountain retreat or something. So they would go to these beautiful places and then they would all kind of come together, have talks, pray. So, Yeah. And you're here to offer hope for us that that type of vision for the church is possible, even if you're not in Italy, and even yeah, if you're, even we if you're don't need a mountainside village or anything like that. But no, there's this is so simple as it's it's um, it's meals, it's coming together um, for community, it's it's you know it's friendship and inviting others to walk alongside you. And I mean, they really uh, see their parishes when I was in Europe and had an opportunity to hang out with these movements and go to these conferences, spend time at their parishes, the families really knew each other and they'd hang out after mass and, and talk. And there was just a sense of ownership of this is our home. This, our parish is our home. And so, and that the, wow. their family um, also understood, the families also understood that not only is the parish the home, but their own homes are an extension of the parish right they, they really lived as a domestic as domestic churches yeah absolutely they definitely did and that's why that's why i have such a heart for this ministry is because i i really believe in domestic church i believe in domestic community and and i think it's it's something we all really long for we're all looking mm-hmm. for belonging we're all looking for home and i think it's 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 something that got that christ wants to uh I, I believe in this model to renew the church and in the new evangelization is is the power of domestic community. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit. You've hinted, you know, 
that there's some gaps that the you know marriage prep process never really quite fulfilled this vision uh, practice you know the the pastoral practice of of John Paul II uh, his vision there's some gaps there and it hasn't mm-hmm. you know it never really fulfilled that and it hasn't adapted to the changes how do we start to address some of these gaps particularly in i mean we're you know we're recording this still march of 2021 uh, the pandemic is still uh, still a lingering reality mm-hmm. um, and that may be a generous you know way way to say it how do you start to how do we start to fill some of these gaps well i mean there's just i i think we just have to recognize that the, the that the way we're doing it right now first and foremost is it's not filling all the needs that these these people these couples have mm-hmm. so i mean right now marriage prep is being done in such a way that it, it is very much a checklist kind of mentality like i have to do this and this and this fill out this paperwork um go to this event to to get married and i think we're missing a, a great opportunity for um not only evangelization but relationship building so there's mm-hmm. the gaps i'm seeing is right now we're doing more of a classroom style instruction we um you know we're not really getting to know these couples during the process and inviting them into the life of the parish integration the life of the church so um i think there's a lot of things we can do differently um I think the first thing is, you know, every parish should have somebody that's kind of, uh, you know, in charge of following up with these couples after the wedding. So it's somebody who could just kind of say, hey, um, are we retaining these couples? How many of them are actually coming back to mass here after they're after they're married? Mm -hmm. And do we have somebody who's following up with them and, and checking in on them, inviting them into small groups? bringing them together for community themselves, these engaged and newly married couples. So just just keeping an eye out for them because oftentimes, you know, we have all these opportunities during the process, but we're really missing these key moments where we can get to know these couples and draw them into the parish life. Um, it was like an engagement coordinator. We, we have the marriage prep coordinator. We have the wedding coordinator. And you're talking about an engagement coordinator. Someone who's like, yeah, you're married now. Someone who can help start, I mean, that's a grander vision, but someone who could you know, start to draw them into the life of the Yeah, parish. like or like a newlywed coordinator or marriage coordinator, like marriage formation person. Like I know St. Gerald's um, Deacon Luna just uh, kind of created this new role where he's the marriage formation coordinator. So he's he's really looking to, to kind of hold these couples that are going through marriage prep and to bridge them into, into parish life and help them to feel... To feel welcomed and invited into St. Gerald's Parish. Gosh, sometimes marriage prep, not maybe universally, but in, in some instances, it just kind of degenerates into a checklist. Not only is that not providing this deep kind of relational connection uh, that they need, you know, maybe a, a moment of evangelization, but there's there's kind of a dark, there's a dark side other than it's not just missing something particularly when couples are not in a good, well, they're not maybe deeply connected to the church or to the person of Jesus. Talk about some of the the negative effects that checklist mentality can have. Well, I think it just becomes very utilitarian because, um, you know, a lot of the times these couples especially see this as a sacramental vending machine. So it's like, mm-hmm. okay, if I do this, this, and this, I get this, you know, and I think they're... Uh, 
The dark side of it is is that I mean, we're missing a key opportunity to to bring these couples into a deeper relationship with the church and in Christ mm-hmm. himself. And uh, I think my heart has a lot of uh, – it's kind of hard because every month I get this opportunity to meet all these couples on Zoom, you know, albeit on Zoom. But I still get to, to interact with them, relate to them. And I can – and sometimes I get emails afterwards from these couples just saying that was really awesome to talk to other couples. And I break them out into small groups on Zoom. So I put them in groups with people mm-hmm. from their own parishes. And I, I, I start that process of them getting to know other couples the dark side of it all is that I, I see it's not enough. Like whatever mm-hmm. I'm doing, bringing them together on Zoom, giving them an opportunity, introducing them even to to the truth of marriage, the truth of God's plan for sexuality and marriage, which I, I love teaching that every month. It's such a joy. But at the end of the day, they disperse and scatter because mm-hmm. there's no structure set up in the parish to truly retain these couples there's and to welcome them. Receive them. Yeah. And we have 900 couples going through marriage prep every year. And I look at these couples and I, I know many of them, there's some of them who are getting married with the intention of joining a parish and, and really living out the sacramental graces they're being given and, and understanding them. But the majority of these couples are getting married because they want a nice venue. They want the, they want the, mm-hmm. the, the, the church building or they're doing it because grandma wants them to do it. Or because they kind of have some association with the church and it just seems like that's the right thing to do. But very few are, are doing it because they, um, yeah, because they understand the sacrament and that they mm-hmm. want to be initiated into this sacrament and understand to live out their 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 married life in the life of the church. Like it's, it's not something um, many couples... I think are thinking about consciously. So it's like to have these conversations, to do these marriage prep retreats, I'm introducing them to saying like these sacramental graces you're being given are powerful. And this is going to be this is going to be what holds you together over the years and to draw on those graces and to also draw on each other. Like you you need this practical support. You need the emotional support of other couples in a church community to be able to to be able to live marriage well. Yeah. Which is I, I felt I mean, you know, all the surveys show that it's a, it's a really felt need and it's a fear amongst young couples. Absolutely. They, they, they know the statistics, at least vaguely. And, you know, if there's any honesty, they're like, well, what what's going to make us any different? Right. Um, and they... And and they're actually there is this thing called grace uh, <laughs> that 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 offers that offers you hope that it could be different. When you're talking about, I mean, couples who are their relationship with this church is, you know, just kind of nominal. It just, there's some association. It just feels like the the right thing to do. You know, they may or may not have any explicit relationship with Jesus. Well, that's a moment for evangelization. How do you evangelize in the context of marriage prep? Are you asking in general or me particularly when I do the Zoom retreats? Both. both. How do you do it? And then in general, what what are, how do you take advantage of that opportunity? I mean, well, for me particularly, I mean, I have my one opportunity every month to, you know, interact with couples. So I'll, I'll, I'll get on Zoom for about six hours with them on a Saturday. And that's a long time to be on Zoom. And it's a long time to hold their interests. And no, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, to be honest, I was, okay, theology of the body evangelized me. When I, when I heard the gospel through the lens of theology of the body, and God's plan for marriage and our sexuality and understanding myself as a gift 
and I made in the image and likeness of God who is communion. So I made to be in communion with others. It changed my life. And so when I teach it, it's always through Mm. this invitation of, you know, understanding your story through the story of the creation story, through the story of of uh, redemption, and just trying to connect themselves to this mm-hmm. to the greater story because there's this greater story that we've all been invited into. So I'm trying to inspire them to understand what they're made for, and so it's exciting to open that up to theology of the body to them and and to express it in the language that I was taught. So I was taught. In Rome, but I was also went to the Theology of the Body Institute with Christopher West, and it took it from the head to the heart. That's what he always says: is you got to take it. There's a twelve inches between the head to the heart, but that's that's a huge, vast uh, distance for many people. Mm -hmm. So that's what I want to do: is I want to just give them plant a seed, and that's all it is. All that's all I can do is literally plant a seed at these retreats, proclaim the charisma, proclaim the gospel through the lens of theology of the body. But after that, you know, you you kind of give mm-hmm. them something, you know, they 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 experience the truth. But then they, again, they scatter. They they go off to whatever they go to next, you know, in their marriage prep process, which usually is the liturgy planning, and then they get married. So, if evangelization is done well in through the context of marriage prep. You know, um, we need to like use some of these opportunities that are there for relationship building and for mm-hmm. evangelization. So focus, for example, what I mentioned earlier, the premarital inventory, a beautiful way to use evangelization through focus is by inviting in married couples in your parish who are dynamic, who have um, a real heart for for investing in others and mentoring and sharing their own marriage inviting them to be a part of this ministry and to witness to their own marriage uh, through this premarital inventory process. So what that would Mm. look like is you would train a married couple to become a focus, we call them focus facilitator couple, but they they would be trained essentially to to walk with a young engaged couple uh, for I would say they say two to six sessions, but you know, you take that as an opportunity to what they're like hour long, hour and a half. Um, it depends. I think they're usually about ninety minutes. Okay. It depends so on how much sessions. Anywhere from six to eight sessions? No, no. Um two to six. So two to six. Okay. yeah, two but it's it's sessions. a mentoring kind of process. So a lot of times the priest does it. So the priest mm-hmm. has so if a priest has fifty weddings a year and he has to do two to six focus sessions with each couple this is where a lot of the times the burnout happens where it's like they have so many weddings to get through. They I mean it's it's just you got a lot of paperwork you have to sift through as well when you're doing marriage prep. So there's there's definitely uh I mean you you calculate 50 weddings per year and say they do four four sessions per couple. You're looking at what what is that 200 meetings per year for some of these yeah. large parishes. And I mean that's if the par- if the in the most of the time the priest um and the associate are doing most of the the marriage prep for a parish which is a joy for a lot of them because they get to know the couples. But then it's also very, it's a high volume and it's hard to keep up. So, I mean, it's great to allocate that to other married couples in the parishes to to help out with that ministry and also to witness yeah. in a very tangible way. I mean, I hope this is, I'm thinking about those who are listening who are, they are the marriage prep coordinator, pastor, priest, deacon, whatever. And if they're feeling overwhelmed, 
you're saying, gosh, draw in these other marriage couples because you run trainings where people can be trained as facilitators and Mm -hmm. they could learn from the marriage prep coordinators in their parish and the expertise that you and the others in the evangelization and family life office offer. They can learn from that and, and they can help facilitate this process, not only relieve the burden, but actually develop real connection and real relationship with these couples. Oh, absolutely. And I know a lot of um, couples who have been doing focus facilitation for years just love it. They said it's enriched their own marriages so much. And it's just a joy to get to know these young couples. They stay in contact with them. And I think it's just, uh, I mean, you're revisiting so many themes from your own marriage and being able to share stories. And I think it's... uh, I think it's mutually enriching. So mm-hmm. it's it's something I know and I, I think it can be done well. Like if you're if you're looking at it as an opportunity to uh to draw this couple into a deeper relationship with Christ and you know, to share life with them, like invite them to go to mass with you or mm-hmm. have dinner with them. Like that's a way to really bring that human relational element to all of this and make it more like a, a friendship process. Tell us, Rachel, how do the couples respond? Can you share some stories about individual couples uh, experiencing really the gospel and the community and all of it coming together? Yeah, I mean, honestly, in our in our archdiocese, we haven't really gotten an opportunity to see the full fruits of this yet. I mean, I, on my level, I haven't been able to like walk alongside couples and to see them, but I've heard stories from deacons who've led marriage, who've done marriage prep and and done focus particularly, and they just said it, it is. It's so beautiful to, uh, to to just to have that step by step walking alongside another couple and and just investing in them and investing in their relationship and drawing them closer to Christ. I've talked to several deacons about this who do it, um, whether they were assigned by their pastor, they're just doing it because they love it. But they they say it's like their favorite part of their ministry. Mm -hmm. And so the couples themselves, um, I mean, I, I just think you know, anytime anybody takes that time to invest in you and to invest in your relationship and to invest in your personal spiritual growth, they just feel so loved. And I and I've asked many engaged couples before. I'm like, would you would you like to have a mentor couple, or would that be kind of like another step in the process, or would that be annoying to you? Mm-hmm. And I've I used to walk around at my MAJ retreats and ask them that on the lunch hour, just kind of questioning them a little bit, and they would say, Yeah, we'd love that if that was offered. And I just mm. thought, hmm, I wish we had more of that. Because, I mean, it's something I think people desire to be invested in and to be mentored. And like you said, a lot of people are afraid because of the divorce rates yeah. and marriage being what it is now. Especially, yeah, especially young young couples. That's assuring because I think we imagine we set the bar low knowing that they're, you know, that the motivations aren't necessarily that they're, they may not be coming with a clear and explicit desire for Christian marriage. And then I, I can almost see this tragically. Then we set the bar low and we set it too low when they do have a desire. It's not explicit for Christian marriage, but they, they want to be married. They want, whether they can name it or not, they want grace. They want, they want something that they haven't seen perhaps even at, at home. And and having this this mentor couple, actually, when we set the bar higher, it's actually attractive because it's what they want. Yeah. Rachel, what would you say to those who are listening now who are like, okay, I'm not the marriage prep coordinator, <laughs> but 
you are speaking to my heart right now. Like this is, you know, we're more married, we're, we're empty nesters, or maybe we're anything but empty nesters. We've got, you know, children hanging from the rafters and we're right in the thick of uh, child rearing years. But we want to do this. We want we want to invite just out of loneliness ourselves. <laughs> we want we want friends. We want to welcome these new couples. We want to connect with them. If you want to be a, a marriage prep facilitator, if you want to help, how do you get started? The first step to any of this is I think you just need to have a conversation with your your pastor and just kind of ask like, well, what what are you doing at your parish right now for marriage prep? And and kind of just share your heart with them, share your desire to serve and see what opportunities are, are already there. Because, you know, your pastor might be having couples do focus facilitation. I know there's several parishes that have that, but that might not be something that's openly promoted. So you might just have to to step forward and say, well, we'd love to serve in this ministry. And um, yeah, just kind of uh, put yourself out there. But also it doesn't also need to be so formal if you don't, you know, if you're not quite there yet where you want to do something formally in that role. There's also just, you know, building up and enriching enriching your own marriage by um, bringing, you know, inviting others over for a meal at your house, you know, looking at those in the parish that people you know, or uh, maybe you could ask father, father, we'd love to invite some engaged couples or some newly married couples who just joined the parish over to our home and have a meal with them and just try to connect with them. I I had that happen to me at a parish actually in Lincoln. I was invited over to a couple's home. They asked for the the list of the newest members of the parish and they invited me over for a meal, me and five other people. And That's fantastic. I thought, wow, I've never seen anyone do this before. Not in the United States. Not in the United States. Exactly. Like, what is Polish? What Would you is spend happening? time in Europe? That's Yeah. <laughs> gosh, that's great. But no, I, I believe like it's it can be um the basics of, of evangelization. I mean, if we want to do community at a very simplified level, meals and mass. Right. Well, and and to be clear, you actually don't need your pastor's permission. Not that it's ever bad to come alongside your pastor and say, how can I help? But you don't need your pastor's permission to invite young couples over for dinner. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If that's something you just are like, I have this on my heart, then, you know, uh, you can talk to father and say, hey, who are the newly engaged married? Who are the newly engaged or the newlyweds in the parish? We'd like to we'd like to host something for them. And you can do that and just let him know that you want to do that. Um, But if you want to make it more formal and you get father all excited to build a, you know, to have somebody who's a point person for um, this population of people engaged or newly married, you know, you could definitely um, look into some options for hosting small groups or like doing an alpha marriage course, for example. There's another uh, group that does, uh, it's called Choice Wine. It's uh, by Paradisus Day. They're the same uh, yeah. same uh, group that does That Man Is You. So that's that's marriage enrichment. Give us like the 60 second, the alpha marriage course, and then do the same. Give us a little bit on the Paradisus Day uh, program. Choice Wine. Yeah, Choice Wine. Yeah, yeah, talk a little bit about those those programs. 
Well, I mean, the, the the basics behind them is you can do them virtually too, which is great. A lot of people are doing them online. So yeah. Alpha Marriage Group, we hosted one in the Archdiocese here online and we had a bunch of couples come. Uh, and it basically, it's uh, Alpha is generally an eight-week course. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think the marriage course is shortened. It's uh, I'm not quite sure. The I've never led one myself, but uh, there's a, a shortened version and it's uh, – you can do it virtually or you can do it in person. There's another, yeah, so I mentioned Choice Wine. That, again, it's just another small group formation that's specifically focused on marriage formation and building up friendships. My favorite I have not mentioned yet is Witness to Love. So Witness to Love is uh, is a two-for-one evangelization model. So basically- Wait, two-for-one? We, well, two for one evangelization model, meaning uh, so you have a, if you have engaged couples in the parish, they would choose a mentor couple to go through a workbook with them. Okay. So it's basically a small group. You get two couples together and they're doing virtues based exercises together and um, yeah, working on their mutual relationships together. So it's a workbook and they have six sessions and this actually happens during the marriage prep process. So they'll get together six times. One of those times they'll actually have a theology night, which is at their house where they'll invite the priest or deacon over who's preparing Mm. them for marriage and they'll have a meal together and be able to just kind of discuss their marriage prep process Generally, it happens after the diocesan retreat, so they can ask questions like, how did the retreat go? Tell me mm-hmm. what you learned. That doesn't happen. A lot, oftentimes, these couples go on these retreats, and nobody has a follow-up conversation with them afterwards. Yeah. What'd and, you think? Yeah, what'd you think? I mean, the priest generally may, may ask them that question, but kind of to dig into some things, because there's probably concepts and things they learned that they might want to dig into more or ask yeah. questions on. So, Yeah, well, or even, I mean... <laughs> Expressed out, there's a you know there's a really powerful uh, concept in youth ministry that you know doubt is not toxic to faith; it's unexpressed doubt that is toxic to faith. And so mm. often these couples, you know, we 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 recognize that oh, yeah, the whole like you know natural family planning thing. We may not have them at hello, right? <laughs> when, when, we, <laughs> when we when we pitch that. Uh. But then we never have a conversation and we never let people express concerns or doubts or ask questions. And, yeah. and you got to dig in. You got to yeah. dig into the hard topics because the stuff that's kind of uncomfortable and they're like, oh, I, I don't agree with that church teaching, contraception, you know, cohabitation, all this stuff that gets brought up. Let's dig in. Let's talk about it because I think that's the, but the, the key thing with that is they have this mentor couple that they already trust, that they already, um, you know, they already have a relationship of, of security with this person so that they feel free to talk about mm-hmm. these things. Like they might not feel free to talk about that with, with the priest or, um, you know, even on the retreat context to like ask questions. Sure. Yeah. So that yeah, relationship is important. You're often in important. a large room setting with all the other couples at the retreat and that's good, but you, yeah, it's not, it's not as intimate as a smaller group. And all the all these resources, they're all really easy to use, uh, and they're all actually supplemental to often to the marriage prep program that's already happening. So it's I think sometimes you know if you're a coordinator and you're like oh crap I don't want to ch- I don't want to change our program and our system, you actually don't have to. These are supplemental relationships and conversations that can come alongside to fill out and enrich the the total experience. 
Absolutely. Um, and the return of interest, I mean, the re return of investment is so so strong with these programs. Like Witness to Love, for example, um, they do a lot of statistics on their programs because mm -hmm. it's it's in um, it's in a lot of dioceses across the country, and they've done a lot of surveying of couples who've gone through and seen the retention rates in parishes and and in the couples who do go through Witness to Love, which I don't know if I mentioned this, but that's a mentoring process where it's the couple chooses their mentor couple and they um they go on dates together they they hang out and they do this workbook together so this form of marriage prep is what they call a marriage catechumenate it's a parish-based uh marriage prep process where it's more um step-by-step -step walking alongside and building a relationship this form of marriage prep versus what i do which is more the traditional marriage prep style right now where you're just doing the classroom instruction and you're just doing the premarital inventory. The differences um, of success are very different with these two models. So the traditional marriage prep, the way that it's been done since 1981, right now the statistics are that um, Catholic couples who go through, they still have the same rate of divorce as the rest of the secular culture. So it's about 23% right now by year five of marriage. Wow. So when they've surveyed the parishes that do this um, this more relational mentorship style based uh you know, marriage prep ministry, the uh, statistics for those couples getting divorced is 5% versus the 23% average with wow. the traditional marriage prep model. Wait, holy cow. So traditional marriage prep doesn't seem to make any statistical difference whatsoever no. in whether or not, you know, you're, you're going to stay together or whether these couples can succeed first, first five years of marriage. And then you're saying witness to love and other programs that are following a similar model mm -hmm. drop that to five percent yes wow that's that's huge yeah exactly and those couples not only do they stay together but they're they're engaged in relationships in the life of the parish and they're availing them. I mean, part of the reason they're probably staying together is they have support systems and they're not alone. Yes. And, and the stats on parish retention for that. Okay. So for, for traditional marriage prep, those couples coming back to that parish and they say, I want to be belong to this parish. It's only 10%. But with witness to love, and this is just witness to love stats because they're the only ones who've actually surveyed this. The statistics for them to return to their parish with witness to love is anywhere from 70 to 90%. The couples Holy who've cow. gone through. I'm just, I'm just, I just can't imagine anybody, whether you're a coordinator or a deacon or a pastor, or whoever, just anyone who cares about a parish. I mean, the loss of young people in our parishes, particularly young young families, is huge. And one simple change like this can help you retain young people. I mean, that's just that's am that's amazing. It is, and a lot of the the priests who've gone through and, and said, "Okay, we're going to try doing you know witness to love." Not a single one of them has removed it from their parish. They've never had a single parish drop it in terms of this method of doing marriage prep because because of what you're saying, it evangelizes the parish, and you are drawing in young families and, and keeping them. You're retaining them. So, I mean, it's a structure they set up. It's very well thought out. They it took them many many years to create this structure and to create this method. Um, it's a structure that works, and I think, um, and it really is 
it is really uh, providing deep and lasting conversion in the hearts of these people, of the young people who are going through it. So, I mean, yeah, the numbers do speak. Um, yeah. But also speaks to the fact that the way we're doing it now, this maintenance model of traditional um, classroom style marriage prep Let's is not working. Yeah. Yeah. So, Rachel, I this has been an amazing conversation before, and, and we'll link to witness to love. We'll put that in the show notes and we'll put your information so that people can connect with you. If they want to figure out, you can help them get started, get connected, think through simple first steps of of how to revamp their marriage prep. Just before we move on, I just want to talk a little bit, a little bit more about stepping into the messiness. Cause I think one of the things we haven't really addressed is you know, what do you do if you're helping to prepare a young couple for marriage, or even if you're not formally, even if you're just, you're a friend, mm-hmm. you're an aunt, an uncle, a parent, grandparent, whatever, you you know a young couple and you notice that they're sharing the same address. You know, when they registered for marriage prep, they put the both, you know, they put the same address down. It's just obvious that they're cohabit- cohabitating or you mm-hmm. know that, you know, they're engaging in premarital sex and you are confident that they're not on board with the church's teaching on contraception, you know, never heard a compelling. How do you step into the messiness of that? And why do we need to? I mean, I think that 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 just goes back to, and I'm sure you guys talk about this a lot on EquipCast, the thresholds. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to have that basic level of trust and openness with a person before you can even have those hard hitting conversations. And I think, um, you Mm. know, I, I think that's, Another part of the problem, because when we're teaching the the church's teaching on chastity and the beauty of chastity and how it's actually going to lead to your greater happiness, they're not ready to hear that yet. Or I don't have the 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 credibility or the trust with these people, these couples yet to say to say those hard things. But people who are aunts, uncles, friends, and they see, you know, my friends living cohabitating and they're they're contracepting, and I I know that they're that that's going to cause them greater pain down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a strong trust with that person and you feel like that they're they're going to be willing to have that hard conversation, then I I wholeheartedly say go for it and just in but but do it in such a way that presents the truth of chastity that chastity is. It's, it's a way of happiness. It's a way that God wants you to be whole and he wants to present you the the fullness of the truth so that you can be happy and fully alive. Right. It's a way to life. It's, it's a not way a, of life. A, a conformity simply to the rules. Right. Because the rules are there to preserve and enrich life and ultimately to protect your marriage. Right. Or that, this relationship that's so precious. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, you're you're not. Um, I mean, it's yeah. Again, it's not about the rules. It's about proposing a new way of life, and 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 that Christ is 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 wants you to have the fullness of life. And I mean, just greater integration is what chastity is. And mm-hmm. so, I think um, just to be not afraid to to one say I care about you. Um, I know you're preparing for marriage. You're probably so wrapped up in all the logistics. And but how are you guys doing? And and just to really check in with them and say, like, what are you learning in your marriage prep right now? Um, specifically about what the church teaches on marriage, on making a gift of self. And um, have you guys been challenged in that in any way? Have you thought about, uh, like, if you're cohabitating, which 90% of couples are, to, to ask that question. Wow. 90%. 90% of couples are 
like to ask the question, are you willing to, I mean, have you guys ever thought about um, in, in uh, to make that sacrifice of a greater preparation to, to find separate residences before you mm-hmm. get married so you can prepare more fully for the sacrament? And there's been couples who've done it. I know there's, I, I actually met some couples who've done it here in this archdiocese where they were challenged in their marriage prep process and they decided to take that step and, and to move in different residences before they got married because they were captivated by the church's teachings and somebody challenged them. And in relationship. I mean, I was blessed. I was thinking what, a, what an awful trap it is if you are all alone in marriage prep and you feel like, and you, you know, you don't have a relationship, I've got a, an assembly line of people I have to get through and I've got these short little, okay, I've got two sessions here. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my gosh, what an awful setup to have to, I, I, I think there is maybe a, a holy sense of obligation. Okay, I need to proclaim the truth here, but what an awful setup. But I was blessed just to be friends. I wasn't in a marriage prep process or wasn't a coordinator or anything. It was just friends uh, with a a friend who was engaged, cohabitating. uh, They were sleeping together. And I was able to just come alongside and offer a little challenge. And I was able to back that up by saying like, you could stay with me. You oh, know, wow. and, and to be able to like offer offer them, uh, well, just one of them <laughs> to stay <laughs> to stay to stay with us. And you know, like it was that friendship, that relationship, that invitation that not only did they, and I was I was there through the whole messiness because I, I remember very distinctly I was friends friends with the guy, but I said, listen, here's the deal: when you when you make this commitment she's going to get very insecure and she's going to think that this is the end of the relationship and you're gracefully looking for a way out. And sure enough, mm-hmm. you know, like a week later, he's like, dude, she's totally freaking out. <laughs> and I was like, okay, buy her flowers, get her chocolate, take her on a date. You need to show her and yes. demonstrate. And I was able to come along. That's always the- a good idea anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Marriage expert. <laughs> uh, yeah. But like, I was able to, to like be with him, not just like, Hey, you should stop sleeping together. You need, you guys, you need to, you need to find another place. But I was, I was able to be with him when he's like, ah, she's freaking out. And like, mm. okay, like come alongside. You need to prove your love for her in a way that, that now that you are not demonstrating it, you know, physically, you need, you, you need to fill in the gap with flowers and chocolate yeah. and kindness. And it was beautiful. They're married. They have wonderful, wonderful wow. kids. I'm blessed to be one of the godparents. And this individual is now really one of the most dynamic leaders in the church that I know. Wow. And and their story, they're like, yeah, they were they were cohabitating mm-hmm. just like everybody else. Uh, and I was just blessed that I had a friendship there, that I was able to be with them, and that I knew the power of, you know, flowers and chocolate. Oh, yeah. And you knew, like, this is going to make her feel loved and secure. And that's the ultimate fear is like, oh, no, if we if we, if we we move in separate residences, our love won't be as secure. Like, this is a back right. step. Right. They're trying to do the right thing. And there's just some – when somebody tries to do the right things, there's just very practical consequences. That right. if, we're, if we're in people's lives, it's like, oh, now we have two rents. Now, yeah, it's a practical. Now we're feeling a distance from each other. Now mm-hmm. there's insecurity and all of those practical things because praise God I was in relationship, I was able to come alongside and address those things and 
But that's what it takes oftentimes in these cases because of you mentioning the two rents and and just like, well, what do we do now? You know, that like we only have a couple months till we get married. But I mean, somebody like yourself who who sees that they're in a tough spot to step forward and say, actually, like you can live with me for a little bit. That takes that takes sacrifice on the part of those who are friends with people who are in those situations. And we just and we can't if we're not in relationship, if we're forced into a uh intense time schedule, an assembly line of marriage prep. We we don't have the freedom to to do that. And and then we miss these opportunities if we if we're not if we're not engaged yes. uh, with people. It's very hard. I mean I like the high volume of of couples coming through. I mean I, I feel for these parishes that are larger that have so many couples coming through because you do there's a lot of paperwork you have to get through and there is archdiocesan requirements. So oftentimes it does feel overwhelming for them to say, "Oh gosh, like okay, like adding this much more on top of this process. These couples aren't going to want this." Mm-hmm. But it, in actuality they do want it because they want to ensure their success. They mm-hmm. want to be happy in married life. They don't just want to you know, check off. I I deeply believe they don't want the checklist mentality. They do want yeah. to be invested. It's, in. it's a turnoff, especially to to young couples, to, to this generation. It's a it's such a turnoff. I mean, there's nothing attractive about a a, che- a checklist. And what's attractive is when you feel welcomed in, and when you feel like people actually want to get to know you, and there's like a real uh, relationship there. I mean. Millennials, especially Gen Z, we are not attracted to anything that's like just an obligation or, oh, I have to do this because it's the right thing to do or it's my duty. I need to volunteer for this or that. Like my parents' generation definitely has that mentality where Mm -hmm. they knew, okay, well, you need to give back to your parish. You need to tithe. You need to help mow the lawn. You need to run the parish pancake feed. Our generation doesn't have that same uh, right. value. Like we value being a part of something because it's attractive, and we want to be a part of a community. And I think, uh, th- and I see that with a lot of the young couples coming through, is they do like meeting other couples who are in their parish who are getting married yeah. at the same time as them. There's a commonality there. They can talk about that experience. And the good news is the church can speak both languages. We can speak the language of duty and responsibility and obligation and faithfulness, but we can also speak the the language of relationship, yeah, and of love. Uh, it's kind of, that's a home game for us too. We're a little rusty, but if we could re- <laughs> if we could rediscover that language, um, man, what we could do. Okay, Rachel, close us up here. Give us just like just three practical takeaways. Okay. Well, but three practical takeaways is first off, like I said, like just talk to your pastor if you have a heart for this. I think it's a great place to start and just see what opportunities are already there in your parish and how you can kind of solicit yourself and offer yourself as a gift to others. Um, so start there. Say, Father, what are you doing for marriage prep? Uh, I listened to this talk. You can even send this talk to him. How can I help? How can I help? Yeah. Like, how can I serve? And then, you know, just I, like I said, also look for what's already there. So if there is like um, any kind of small groups happening or, you know, um, if there's focus happening in your every parish does focus, you can say, Father, I'd like to be a focus. Me and my wife would like to be a focus mentor couple. How do we get trained? Um, that's, a, that's a very practical thing to do. And I often recommend that as the first step for all parishes wanting to start to revamp. I say, okay, do you have focus mentor couples? If they don't, I say, just start there and then we'll build on some other supplemental things. Um, Virtual date nights are really popular. Witness to Love has a virtual date night. It's five nights. That's something you can just get a bunch of people, engaged couples online. Virtual flowers? 
virtual you could do the virtual flowers totally uh all the girls will Whitney swoon. is shaking her head she's <laughs> like no <laughs> was that ever a thing was that i feel like that was the thing oh, when the internet get, first e- came out i used to get e-cards yeah it was so yeah anyway. that was a thing anyway, okay sorry tangent yeah so no virtual flowers but virtual date nights yes and uh that's that's something you can do especially during covid i didn't mention this uh but i did a when i when covid first happened i guess last march i did these things called corona couples uh they were corona couple groups so if you don't know uh the brides be- go the- getting married during coronavirus are called corona brides Corona bri- okay i thought you were talking about the beer i had it, no they, idea. Uh, yes well you can have that too and that'd be fun that'd be a fun thing to tell Virtual everybody limes, to have a corona so, no. so uh yeah there's we had a corona couple we call them support groups but really it just became like a date night group so everybody would get on i'd say bring an adult beverage if you want you know, and we'll all be on Zoom together. And, and we would, um, sometimes we would have uh, Father Taylor Leffler uh, gave us a little exhortation once and he talked for like 10 minutes on, on a topic and then we discussed it afterwards. But it was just something simple. And these, these uh, couples became friends and it, it was something where they said, well, we'd like to do this for our parish. We'd like to also do like a virtual group or get other couples our age together. And that's, and just giving them that experience to show them like, we have a hunger for this. We want to get to know other people our age. We want to, you know, have community. And so that was something really awesome. So I, I think guys, like it's really not, there's so much opportunity online. And I mean, if you listen to uh, Nikki Gumbel with Alpha, he he says that a virtual Alpha is actually more more successful than the in-person, which I mean, in-person's always beautiful and good, but like people open up differently online than when mm-hmm. they do in person. It's like the barrier is, they're at home literally. So they're more at home mm-hmm. sharing with themselves, sharing with others, so. <laughs> and for better or for worse, we tend we tend to share more personally and intimately on online. <laughs> That's not, true. Not yes. always a good idea, but right. I'm just saying it's a reality. It's so. different. Yeah, there's a, there's more, uh, yeah, vulnerability there. So, but yeah, so like you can do virtual small groups. And then the last thing is just enrich your own marriage. Um, I think the greatest gift you can be to the church is, is, is cultivating your own marriage and and, mm. and just taking that time to invest in your own marriage with another few couples. Like this could be so simple, like just invite two or three other couples you're friends with over and um, have a meal together and then pray together, you know, uh, pray Lexio or a rosary or, or just, just, sh- just spend time together and go- maybe go to mass together on Sunday and go to brunch afterwards. Mm-hmm. But just like think, think in that mentality of building domestic community with other families. Cause we, we do need, we need others to sharpen, to sharpen ourselves. Yeah. Rachel, thank you so much. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for being with us. Uh, we're going to put, all of the cool stuff we talked about, uh, Alpha, um, the Alpha Marriage Course, the um, other resources that we talked about, uh, Witness to Love, we'll cite those in the show notes. If you'd like to find the show notes, you can find them on our blog, equip.archomaha.org. Go ahead and subscribe there and you won't miss anything. Again, you can get the show notes. You can get Rachel's information to connect with her if you want to find out about being trained as a focus facilitator couple, if you want to get a little bit more in-depth kind of research and help on these resources. If you want to take some baby steps to begin to expand and revamp the um, marriage prep program at your parish, 
Uh, Rachel, any closing thoughts? Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm I'm really just beginning this process, and I'm working with St. Gerald's Parish right now, um, where they're starting Witness to Love. So this is the first nice. parish in the Archdiocese to, to, to make the leap and to try it. And um, I'm working with five married couples right now who've just ge- very generously said yes to be mentor couples. And um, Deacon Luna, shout out, is is doing mm-hmm. a great job uh, as their marriage formation coordinator. But we're really just learning as we go. And we're, we're meeting this next uh, upcoming St. Patrick's Day, and we're going to have a marriage formation night and hang out. But I, I, I think the, the thing is, is don't feel like you have to be experts or perfect at any of this. We're just looking for real people who just want to witness and share to their marriage and, and and get to know other couples and have fun in the process. So I mean, if, it, if your heart's stirring for this and you feel like intimidated or just don't even know how to broach this conversation, just just give me a call. And it's literally, we're just walking through this step by step. This is a, a new pioneer effort in the archdiocese. And we're just looking for a few uh, parishes who are, are willing to learn and, and to try something new. So in the words of JP2, be not afraid. <laughs> Fantastic. I could totally see the- I got to dust off my Polish Oh, yeah. I could it. totally I mean... see the experience of Europe coming out there. That's great. <laughs> okay. Thank you again, Rachel. And thanks for being with us, everybody. 